Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. In an interview with Laura Koonsberg this morning, Keir Starmer was keen to emphasise Labour's commitment to change and reform. When Koonsberg pressed him on a few specific issues, however, he deflected those questions as being the current government's problem and was reluctant to go into any detail on Labour's spending plans. Instead, he insisted on fiscal responsibility, the necessity of growing the economy and changes to the planning system. So you say you need to do things very differently. Let's test out what you might do differently if you were Prime Minister, because there is an immediate problem at the moment with public sector pay. So Rishi Sunak has offered doctors a 6% pay rise. They say no. He says no more talking. What would you do? Well, this is the government's problem. They, as good as broke our public services, they've created a situation in which wages have been stagnant for many, but many years. But what would you do differently and they in need that to situation? Sort out, they need to sort out this mess. How? I would do this differently by growing the economy. We have to grow, grow, and grow our economy. And you said that already. That this is a specific question. If you were Prime Minister right now, it's exactly the kind of problem that might face you, a pay dispute with a big, powerful union. The doctors say they will not accept it. Rishi Sunak says no more negotiating. What would you do? Do you back the junior doctors or do you back the Prime Minister? Well, we would be round the table negotiating and we would settle this dispute. I think many people would say, why has it taken this long even to have one step towards progress? Because many people have had their operations cancelled, many people have been deeply affected by these strikes. Uh, under the last Labour government, we settled mm-hmm. disputes. We didn't have... I mean, take the nursing dispute. You didn't have a national nursing dispute under the last Labour government. So right you now, did have if you were Prime Minister, you would keep negotiating... And higher confidence in the would, NHS. But you would keep negotiating, and the implication of that is that you would offer them more. Well, Laura, look, uh, the election will be sometime next year. We will inherit whatever situation we inherit. But you but want to be Prime Minister. Task... But you want to be Prime Minister. This is exactly the kind of thing that might face you... Doctors will not accept 6%. You say the government should keep negotiating. The implication of that is they should offer more than 6%. This is the government's mess, and it's for them to sort it out. I'm not going to wade into that. What I would do if we were in power is I would be absolutely laser focused on growing the economy with a plan for growing the economy. I would also be laser focused on reforming our public services to make sure that we take the weight off our public services. And we'll services. talk about that in just a second, but do you not think some of our viewers might hear when you say, I don't want to wade in? They think, well, hang on a minute, Keir Starmer's trying to persuade me he wants to be Prime Minister. He would be very different, he would get things done. And you say, I don't want to wade in. Well, Laura, no leader of the opposition is going to sit in a TV studio saying the precise percentage that they would. Um, you know, agree in hypothetical discussions. I'm not even in the room for these negotiations. Mm. Um, What I would do is approach this very, very differently in government. We would negotiate, Mm. but the most important thing is to get to the root cause. The root cause of this is the economic failure of the last 13 years. We've got to turn that around. Koonsberg also asked Starmer why Labour had decided to delay its pledge to borrow £28 billion to fund the transition to green energy if he believed it was the most important issue facing the country. Starmer claimed the target date for the transition had not been delayed and that acquiring the funding was not the only issue. He said Labour was still talking to partners about how to most effectively achieve the goal. Now, when you ran for leader, one of your ten pledges was that there was no issue more important to our future than the climate emergency. Do you still believe that? Yes, I think it's probably the single most important issue. So if you really believe that, our viewer Elsa Reynolds wants to know this question. She asks you, have you seen the temperatures in Spain? 
Yes. Have you seen what is happening? Why are you then delaying your green agenda to combat climate change when we haven't any time to lose? Well, we've got a massive agenda when it comes to climate change. Which you're delaying. £28 well, billion pounds of spending is not now going to happen in the first year if you win the election. The target date for clean electricity of 2030 has not been moved. That will be a massive step in the right direction when it comes to the climate. It will also deliver um, cheaper bills, um, security so Putin can't put his boot on our throat, and the next generation of but jobs. So we spending, but you are delaying the spending of the 28 billion. You say that's because of the difficulties in the economy. But if you really believe it's the number one problem, why don't you just say, let's borrow what we need to borrow. Let's get on with it. Let's not delay. Well, Laura, what I would say is, uh, it's the outcome that matters, that clean electricity, clean power by 2030. That's the outcome that hasn't been delayed. That is there, that's the commitment. As to the funding, the funding doesn't deliver you, isn't the sole issue by spending the money. What we've done is we've looked at, obviously, the uh, amount that it costs to borrow. We're now in a different position because of the damage that the Tories have done to our economy. And we've also talked to those that we will partner with about how effectively we can achieve that goal of 2030. Business Secretary Kemi Badenoch stressed the significance of the government's success in becoming part of the CPTPP trade group, the country's biggest trade agreement signed since Brexit. Queensburg asked if it would change much, given the government's assessment that the deal may only add 0.08% to GDP. Badenoch said the agreement will have a big impact if it is properly used. It's been five years since the idea to join CPTPP, as, as we call it, first uh, first started and now we have signed the agreement. This is the, um, it's the fastest growing region, the Asia Pacific. Uh, it's going to be responsible for at least 50% of global growth that we're expecting between now and 2035. And countries have been queuing up to join uh, this, this trading bloc. We've got there first, we've got our seat at the table. And it is uh, for the UK, it's actually quite a momentous thing. It's the biggest uh, trade deal we've signed since we left the EU and there's everything to play for. But the government's own assessment says that it'll only add 0.08% to GDP. I mean, are viewers really going to feel any difference as a result of this? They will, they will if they use it. And the assessment that we made, it was a scoping assessment. It's just a very broad brush, sort of static modeling. It doesn't look at so many things. It's not specifically about trade deals. We use it for all sorts of things. Uh, it doesn't look at the future growth that's coming in. And it also doesn't look at how we utilize, um, how we utilize the agreement. And this is why it's so important that I explain to people how significant it is. If we don't use it, then it'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is uh, a forecast that's only as good as uh, the way that we utilise it. Badenoch was also asked to comment on the forthcoming guidance on trans pupils in schools. Koonsberg asked her if there might be a situation where children are being outed by their teachers against their wishes. Badenoch did not want to speculate on what will be in the guidance, but suggested that it should be parents doing parenting, not teachers. You are also the Minister for Equalities and it is expected this week after some time that we will see the guidance for schools on how they should best support trans pupils, young people identifying as trans. Should teachers have to tell parents if children want to change their gender? Yes, so we are producing guidance for uh, schools to uh, know how to deal with children who are experiencing gender distress. 
and I can't go into the specifics of what is going to be in the guidance, but what you can uh, let your viewers know, what your viewers can be reassured of, is that we're doing everything we can to bring clarity. There is quite a lot of confusion about what the law says, and it is important the parents are aware of what's going on with their children and what's happening to them at school. So what we're doing is uh, making sure that we have robust guidance that's going to be able to stand up to scrutiny, and that will be coming shortly. Is it possible, though, that we have a situation where trans pupils might feel that teachers are outing them to their parents, even against their wishes? Uh, well, I think we need to make sure that we don't speculate too much on what's going to be in the guidance. It's best read in, uh, in totality and within context. The fact is that this is not a trivial thing. This is uh, very different from sexual orientation. And what is right is that parents know what is going on with their children at school. It is not uh, for teachers to parent. It is for parents to parent. And we're giving guidance to make sure that everyone is getting the balance right. Finally, in an interview with Sophie Ridge, Tony Blair focused on technology as an area in which the UK had a chance to significantly transform the economy and reform healthcare. He argued that there wouldn't be a lot more money to fix the problems with the NHS, but that advances in technology like AI could allow for a more efficient system that increasingly relies on prevention rather than treatment. He also called for greater cooperation between the private and public sectors in order to speed up innovation. But the big question for the future is technology. And you've got some ideas on that as well, um, particularly on the health service, I was quite interested to see. Yeah, if you look at healthcare today, it's, it's going to undergo a complete revolution. You're going to be able to diagnose diseases and conditions much earlier. In fact, actually, you better do a lot of it from birth through, through um, genetics. You're going to be in a situation where people can manage their own conditions. You know, we all got used to testing uh, during COVID testing ourselves, but actually there's going to be a lot more that you can do. AI is going to transform things like radiology. I mean, a whole lot of processes within healthcare uh, can be digitized. And then AI is also going to mean that you're going to develop many more cures and treatments than we have now. So you've got the, the whole question about healthcare is how do you reimagine it so that it operates on a completely different basis? So you switch from treating illness, which is why the health service was, was created, to, to prevention and well-being. We often you know, talk about the NHS in quite a sort of starry-eyed way, if you like. Do, do you think that actually it is providing a good standard of care if you look at international comparisons? Uh, no, at the moment it's, I mean, in some respects it is, obviously, the staff do a great job in difficult circumstances. And I think the general experience of people is that if, it's, if you're in really acute difficulty, uh, then, it, then it still does provide very good care. But a lot of the, you know, waiting lists are, are terrible. Um, COVID, of course, has made it all worse. No, we, we've, but the truth is you're not going to have a lot more money to spend. But you do have to think, how do we do things completely differently? That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Joe Bidell Brill. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week. <laughs>